Hey everyone, this is Sina with another episode of Into the Bytecode. My guest today is Jesse Polak. Jesse's been working on moving crypto forward for many years. He's been at Coinbase for the past six years or so, first leading engineering across various consumer and retail products, and more recently leading the development of BASE, Coinbase's layer two network built on the OP stack. I really appreciated this conversation because Jesse shared more of his personal journey in starting to work on BASE. He talked about how he almost left Coinbase because he wanted to work on something more on-chain and crypto native. But then he had this intuition that something really powerful and impactful could be done there. And how he had this year-long journey of thinking through and working on different ideas until he finally landed on BASE with a couple other collaborators internally. I find Jesse's perspective on crypto and the positive impact it can have on the world to be incredibly refreshing and inspiring. Especially towards the end of this conversation, he shared some of his personal values and why he's working on this technology in the first place. We also talked about various other topics, like how he's been taking his salary in crypto and using crypto as his personal financial stack and how he's actually using crypto more and more on a daily basis as time goes on. All said, this conversation helps me understand the deeper motivations behind BASE and gives me a sense of confidence knowing the person who's leading the project and what their motivations are. And with that, I'll leave you to it, and I hope you enjoy. Into the Bytecode is sponsored by Optimism. The Optimism Collective is building the open source modular software project known as the OP Stack, which allows developers to run layer two blockchains while also addressing key governance and economic challenges in the wider ecosystem. Optimism is also leading decentralized grants experiments like retroactive public goods funding, which recently granted 10 million OP to projects across developer tooling, infrastructure, and education. More recently, they had a major milestone by adding Coinbase's blockchain base to also be governed by Optimism governance and also contribute a portion of their sequencer revenues back to the collective. I've known the Optimism team for many years and know that they're dedicated to both scaling Ethereum and extending its ability to build better economic structures. So if you're interested in learning more, whether you want to build something new or you want to apply for grant funding, then I encourage you to check out Optimism at optimism.io. Maybe we can start at a simple place and then see where things go from there. But awesome. starting with bass, I'm curious because I, I know you had a you, you played an instrumental role in getting that off the ground. But what 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 is the motivation behind bass? Why work on a project like this? Yeah. Um, and I think like the motivation for behind base for me had been building for a long time at Coinbase. Um, like I, I've now been at Coinbase for a little bit more than six years. And so yeah. I joined in the beginning of 2017 and spent kind of the first four and a half years building all of our consumer facing products. So Coinbase, Coinbase Pro, Coinbase Wallet, um, and loved doing that. It was awesome. Learned so much, but I think like a lot of that time, I felt like I was still really far away from the actual like innovation happening in the space. It was kind of like I was off here kind of building these interfaces for like the mainstream audience to engage with crypto, but then all the innovation was over there. 
And that was about the feeling for me personally, but I also think it was like kind of a reality. It's been a reality for Coinbase where, um, you know, if you think about like most of the innovation that's happened in crypto over the last decade, uh, we're not decade, last five years, I'd say, you know, on chain, um, like Coinbase has played a smaller role on that. I think we've had some big, you know, uh, contributions with things like USDC, but, you know, like Uniswap Compound, like all of this novel mechanism design that's basically happened over the last five years, um, we we've been a little bit further afield from it and so yeah i think after after four and a half years of just kind of like experiencing that and having fun doing the other stuff my feeling was like okay like i gotta get involved like i gotta figure out how am i gonna like be at the cutting edge and like kind of push the limits of what's possible here um and so Shifted do you remember do you remember that moment like was there was there something in particular that that caught your attention or made you want to make that change at that time? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Kind of like fall. So it must've been fall 2020. I basically got line of sight to two big, like two big pieces of work finishing uh, in my like previous role. So one was got line of sight to us IPOing, which happened in April of 2021. And then the other was um, kind of starting in 2019 I'd led this effort to rewrite all of Coinbase's mobile products. Um, mm-hmm. So we rewrote the mobile apps um, from kind of native iOS and Android to a combined React Native code base that allowed cool. them to like you know be one one app really. Um, and fall 2020, we also got line of sight to that project basically like shipping finally. Um, so uh, I think having those two things line up and they basically lined up, they, they basically happened at the same time, kind of you know, late Q1, early Q2, um, 2021. I just kind of felt like, oh, this is this is the moment. Like if I'm going to make a change, it's like, these are these two things that I've just put years into. Like I'm going to ship them and then I'm going to figure something else out. And at first, like my first inclination was actually like to leave Coinbase. You know, yeah. it's like, I've done, I will have done four and a half years. Um, yeah. I want to go start another company. That's a good I, amount of time. Yeah, that's a good amount of time. Um, and so, especially in crypto I, years, it probably feels yeah. like decades. Yeah, feels like a long time, both fast and short. It's kind of it's crazy to think that 2017 was six years ago or more than six years ago when I joined. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of set my eyes on like, I'm going to finish these two projects, I'm going to do a really like, best-in-class transition and kind of succession planning. And then I'm going to leave um, and start something. And I kind of, you know, I told, I started telling my, you know, I told Max Brandsburg, who now runs all of our, still runs all of our consumer-facing products on the product side and is, you know, a really close friend. And um, I told him that fall. And then I told my boss, Manish, who, who's the head of engineering, kind of February, maybe January. Um, mm. And... I mean, so much credit to Manish. Manish was like, I hear you. Like, I understand that you're feeling this way um, and I want to support you in whatever you do, but like, don't just leave. Like, take a little break. Take Mm. some time. We can figure out how to support you to do that and reflect and then see how you feel. And so he basically like, you know, worked with HR to make it so I could take some leave. And I took, um about like three four months of leave um where nice. i did some traveling and you managed to actually some... fully zoom out and disconnect 
Yeah, I don't know about fully super conscious. I was like pretty was quick, pretty quickly like started jumping into working on other things. But you know, I I did some. It was like we got we got me and my now wife got to go to Europe and um, do a little traveling. It was good. Um, but after four months, I like I I kind of pursued some other things and I started kind of poking my nose back in at Coinbase, being like, "What's going on over here? Like, what are people thinking about?" And I mean, Coinbase is just a really special place. And I think I saw like a a few things that were happening that were really interesting to me. And I also just think I, like Manish said, after having four months of perspective, I think one thing that really kind of felt obvious to me was, wow, if I like, I have something really special at Coinbase. It's like, I've been here for five years Totally. So I know everyone and people like trust me for the most part because I have had a good track record, but I'm also like at the very cutting edge because that's where I've been like focusing for the last, you know, like my free time, you know, like I just do things in crypto and that's pretty unique in a big company like Coinbase. And so I kind of had this like re-engagement personally with Coinbase where it's like, if I can figure out the way to combine those two things where it's like, combine all of this trust and knowledge and historical context with like this kind of like future cutting edge thinking that I'm doing, like there's something here, like there's something that would be really fun and valuable, important for me, and then could have a really big impact on the company. Um, And so, and I, I, yeah, go for it. Sorry. And, and like coin, I mean, Coinbase is um, doing something as Coinbase, like Coinbase's position within like the world and the crypto landscape is also non-fungible, right? You can't really, there's no, you can't recreate it on your own. Like it would be totally different if you went and did a startup. And something like base is almost like, a perfect marriage of these two things. It's It's something that only Coinbase could have done. Yes, yes. Well, this was like, so I kind of had that idea of like, how can I combine these things? And that kind of began the journey of base. And like at the beginning, I was just like, I, ha- I have this intuition that there's something here. And I remember having a conversation with Max, you know, cause you know, he, again, one of my close friends, I was like, there's something here. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, there's something here. And I want to like commit to trying to find that thing. And, around around like you know infra layer two infrastructure in particular no, no, or like just that. doing something on chain <laughs> yeah. and like futuristic just doing something on chain that leveraged my context to change the company and bring us into the next like totally on chain era right like figure out how do i combine that kind of like cutting edgeness with this like huge asset and network that Coinbase has. And if I could figure out how to do that, there would be something really powerful there. And the first version of it, like, you know, September, 2020, um, 2021, I brought the first like take on this idea to our exec team. And it was like, you know, totally grandiose. And like, you know, we, we should bring the whole company on chain and like we a bunch of resources, a bunch of money to do all this. And everyone was kind of just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? And, and now like I, I look back at that proposal the other day. I was like, yeah, that's, it was crazy. Like, like I literally sounded, I think a little like raving mad. Um, yeah. But it, it was, there was kind of this intuition that there's something here. And then the next year 
you know, because it really was, you know, we started working base in a concerted way in, in August, September of 2022. So it was really a year after that of like trying to figure out what it was. And yeah. we went through, we went through like three different ideas and, um, how do you go about like how how do you go about like thinking through something like that just strategically because it's such a it's such a big bet and even even you know even just announcing something like that hasn't has an impact and how people perceive coinbase and could have all these like second order effects and how does it play out and we're like living in a landscape that's also evolving in real time and responding to what we're doing like how did you go about thinking through that well it wasn't it definitely wasn't just me it was uh you know like luckily i I had great collaborators and managers and and mentors at the company and i think like it wasn't just me who saw like there's something here like if we can figure out how to put jesse on the right thing and like get his energy directed in the right way like there's something here and so it ended up you know I don't even really know how to describe it. It, it kind of was the journey of a, a startup inside the business though. Totally. Like, you know, I, we got a little group of people together. We um, started working on ideas, basically just being like, what should we build? And um, we, we latched onto one pretty quickly and spent the first kind of six months building that one and got to six months and we're like, this isn't a good idea. Like it's, it's, it, it's not going to work. Like it, there's a, there's a bunch of risk and, you know, uh, complexity. So, what, so, so you were, you were taking, well, how, how would it compare with like a startup approach? Cause I'm like, you didn't launch those things, right? You would, we did you launch those things. Yeah. So, but you yeah. were still building, you were still prototyping we were still things and like dog yeah, fooding we them inside or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was kind of like prototyping and then, um, it's prototyping and then it was a lot of like reviewing with our, our chief product officer and like looking yeah. at them and getting his input and thoughts. And like one, one reflection I have from that period is it's like really hard to innovate on a schedule or like invent on a schedule, you know, like totally. I like for, for six, six months, it was like I was doing weekly meetings with, our chief product officer where we were showing the progress that we were making on like figuring this out. And those were probably like the most anxiety inducing stressful six months of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Just like I, I, I felt, and I think like credit to all these people, none of them were putting this on me, but like my experience, my lived experience was like, I need to figure out this answer like ASAP. Cause otherwise like I'm not adding a value to the company and totally. So I mean, every, every week it felt like, Oh, I have to like show up to like almost convince people that I figured it out. And that led to all sorts of like in pain for me, where I was just like a lot of feeling of like, I figured it out. And then, you know, people we would have conversations and people would be like poke holes in it. And then I'd feel like down Completely and like, oh, I haven't figured it out. Like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this. Um, man, that, that feeling is like the most difficult part of starting something new that, that the uncertainty and the emotional, like up and down you feel as you 
think you have something and then the existential crisis of like oh my god the whole thing is like broken it's not gonna work i need to you know and and then you go into this like depth of despair for three four days however long it takes maybe longer um it's crazy it's crazy it's really and i i you know i i'd started a startup before yeah but it had been it had been you know five years since I'd been in in that um, and also I don't know there's something about doing this inside of a big company like even when I was when we were in a startup it's like we felt that I felt that a lot but also like we we sent like a monthly update to our investors that was an email totally right but like. A lot of my lived experience in 2022 was like I every week I have to like sit down with our chief product like chief product officer of what you know what is a big public company totally. and be like here's my current thinking on the answer and that it was hard it was super super hard um, really rewarding and uh, learned so much and you know incredible people that I got to work with and um, all that but. Definitely. That's that's got to be such a such a like good mechanism on the part of like Coinbase and like the you know the leadership team to have someone who's like really creative and like self motivated and like is just going down all these weird rabbit holes like even regardless of if you found something just that feedback loop of you like the stress you internally feel and come back and report <laughs> on like the next dead end that you found is probably so informative and in understanding what's actually going to happen in crypto more broadly for instance yeah i i hope so i i hope oh, yeah i think so yeah. Um, it was definitely informative for me. I learned so much. Um failed a lot. Felt like a failure a lot. Um, yeah. Had like a few moments where I was just like I'm I can't do this anymore. Um I don't yeah. have it in me. But and then you I had mean, a like, moment where it like clicked. <laughs> or or it's a, or it's a, or it's a process of like you know, taking the the next step is clear, and you're you're trying not to create any fully irreversible decisions. And there's some level of trust that there's an interesting next step will open in time. Yeah. Well, I think definitely, like, I feel so grateful for the amount of trust that, like, Brian and Serge and all these people, like they they just let me kind of flail for a year. You know, like not like trying and failing kind of repeatedly to figure out the right answer. Um, but they just kept supporting me. Um, I think like the way we ended up creating base was we basically iterated through these three ideas and literally on every single one of them, we, we got to the point of like trying to starting to build it and thinking about how would we build this and where would we build it? And we started running the same questions. It was like, Oh, like we want to write this thing in EVM. But like we can't really deploy it on Ethereum because it's gonna be too expensive for all of our users. Like, what L2 should we put it on? Oh, like none of these L2s are quite there, and like none of them quite work across all of Coinbase's products. Like, we need to figure out how to align that and make all that stuff work. And we hit that literally three times. And yeah. on the third time, um, we got we got to the point where we were. Like we hit that and we were thinking about like, what's the next step? And, you know, Coinbase 
in 2022 uh and you know now i think like with with bear market it's like all about how do we be as efficient as possible with our resources and at that point i had like a I think there was like it was probably me and kind of eight engineers who were working on this stuff, and I had a bunch of conversations with Max again, who was my kind of uh, I reported to Will, who's now running our developer product group, um, and he was paired with Max, who was uh, you know now runs our consumer product group, and they were together were running at the time the whatever ecosystem group, um, uh, yeah, and the three of us kind of had conversations, and we were like. There's, this is just too many people to be working on this in this environment. And so right. they actually, we, I guess we kind of made the call to like shut it down a little bit. Like we said, hey, let's send most of these engineers and product manager and, um, uh, and move them to another project in the company and let's stop this project. And like Jesse plus, uh, it was me plus three other engineers. Um, like you guys just go over there and like figure out what you learned. And like what your takeaways are and like how you can take those learnings to accelerate some stuff inside the company. Like, yeah, just like this. Current so you're kind of like calling working. it like it's time to distill the learnings and bring absorb it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, that was it. It was like, go figure out how to take these things elsewhere and accelerate other efforts in the company and take a little time to do that. But like, that's the thing, like this is over. And I remembered that and I was very like, it was, it was I both felt a tremendous amount of sadness because I was like, wow, I really like now I actually failed. Like it was a year of working on this, but like, I don't have anything to show for it. And then also just a ton of relief because I was like, oh man, I'm so glad I don't have to do these weekly meetings anymore. Or <laughs> I have to like, <laughs> try and convince yeah. people that I know what we're doing. Uh, yeah. and, and not just the weekly meetings uh, with kind of like our leader, the leadership of the company, but also the weekly meetings with the team, you know, of like, Right. 12 people where it's like, I have to try and convince these people that I know what we're doing and like give right. them meaningful and interesting things to work on. And um, so I felt a ton of relief about letting that go. And then me and these three engineers, one of whom is this guy, Michael, who he joined a month before me in 2017. We like scaled Coinbase from 2017 to 2021. We just kind of like, took a month and we were like, let's just go like see what we can build on chain with these learnings, like see how we can accelerate some of these things and like just treat it kind of like a hackathon. And we launched, we, me and Michael looked at each other and really Michael, give him the credit. He was like, I think we should try and build an L2 and just see like what it would look like because we keep getting stuck yeah. on this. And like, man, it, it, it doesn't feel good to keep being stuck. That's here. such a crazy idea. I can imagine like <laughs> the level of like hype I would feel just thinking that thought, you know, he said it to me and I had been, he'd suggested it before. And I had been like, I don't know, man, it seems like it's off. You know, it's a whole distraction. Like it's going to take a lot of resources, all these things. But this time we were kind of free to have a little bit of time for exploration. Uh, and I said, great, like, let's go try it. Let's see what happens. And then I went to, we, so we did a like first exploration a little bit on it and um, we started convincing ourselves that there was something here and being like, whoa, like there's actually an opportunity here. Like we could do this. And I had dinner. Um, it was at some like company dinner with like the engineering product leads or something. I don't remember, but um, Surgeon, who was the chief product officer at the time, 
I got to sit next to him for a little bit and and started talking about this idea of like, maybe we should build an L2. And we talked about related things previously. And he started, you know, from a place of like, no, like, come on, we just need to like, stop, Jesse. Like you've been doing this for <laughs> like, it's like, over. It up. Like, yeah. It's over, right? <laughs> and then we talked about it for 30 minutes and I think like through those 30 minutes, he started to see a little bit more what we were seeing, which is like, oh, there's an opportunity here. Yeah. And I remember him at the end of that dinner, he he grabbed me and he was like, Jesse, I think there's something here. It, you just need to launch it. Like, don't listen to anyone. Just like figure out how to get this thing out into the wild. Because like, there's gonna be a million things that prevent you from doing this. And if you can just get it live, it's gonna be something and i think it's going to be important and that was a wednesday and i was like okay well that's 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 i don't know what that means but like, <laughs> yeah. like, okay. but i like the sound well, of it <laughs> i like the sound of it and so i went back to michael that night uh, it was like a wednesday night and i said okay i had this conversation with surgeon and he was like we should just launch this and like we can't launch this because that's just impossible but like can we launch something and me and him put our heads together and said, we could launch an internal version of this that's like mm. positioned as like the internal L2 test net that anyone mm. can use to build on-chain applications. And we called it BaseNet. Um, uh, and that Monday, so like that's five days so later, yeah. we published in like the whole product engineering channel. We were like, we're excited to launch BaseNet. <laughs> Get started here. Here's the RPC endpoint. Here's the documentation. This is going to be like the place where you could build your applications on chain. That's internal to Coinbase. It'll give you privacy, like all these things. And we got like an incredible response. People were like, whoa, this is cool. And then it kind of just built from there. Because before that, you were you were launching things on some other internal testnet, I imagine, or... Before before that, we were we had in in the earlier in the summer when we were building some of these other things, we'd stood up CoinNet, which is like a it's like an L one Ethereum proof Got like it. POA chain. So Got it's it. like a like totally kind of proof of authority network. chain yeah, with signatures. Chain. Yeah. yeah, it's like running Geth. Um, and so we'd stood up CoinNet in like earlier in the year to prototype on um, because we didn't want to be leaking it all to public test nets. And so it was CoinNet was the L1 and then BaseNet was the L2. And um, yeah, that was, that, that was the beginning. And I think once we launched it and we got the like response from people, then it was just like, oh, there's something here. Like there's really something here. Like yeah. people are excited. They're engaged. They think there's, they're just excited to see us doing this kind of work. And we had had another few weeks to think about it and, I think at that point, both of us were like, okay, now we got to go convince everyone to give us the fourth, the fourth shot. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So when, I, when was this? This was like late summer, early fall, 2022. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was cool. And then, um, yeah, we, we just, Michael started building and I started convincing people. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and people, yeah, I mean, credit to Will, um, Will Robinson, who runs our developer product group. Um, you know, he, 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 
he encouraged us. He was like, go, go spend some more time thinking about this and writing it and making a case. And um, if there's a case here that is a good one, we'll do it. I'll support you, but so what? keep it really small. Yeah. Scrappy. So what, what is, what is the case? Like what, what did you see? What convinces you of this? I think basically where we started was that over the last year, we had been trying to build on-chain products and just yeah. getting stuck on this totally. problem of like, how do we easily build an on-chain product that works at a scale of Coinbase, i.e. hundreds of millions of users um, from a cost perspective um, that works really well with Coinbase products from a usability perspective um, and like is secure. And we'd run into that three times. And it wasn't just us running into that. We'd also seen a bunch of other teams at the company because you know we were kind of like the, sh- the, the shelling point. You're like the leading to. indicator. Right, we're leading it. But we were seeing other people running into the same problem and I think our feeling was like there's a, there's there's like 1,200 engineers at Coinbase, right? And if all of them have are having some of these inklings of ideas of like what if we built this product on chain, and then all of them are getting stopped before they can even incubate those ideas because yeah. the platform's not ready because it just doesn't even seem possible. How much innovation are we missing as a business? Yeah. And then if we're experiencing this and like we're the most crypto forward public company in the world by far, how much innovation is the world missing? And like, that's the thesis behind base, basically. It's like, if we can just make it really easy for developers to build these on-chain applications that can actually reach consumer scale. And then working with Coinbase, if we can make it really easy for everyday people to use those applications, we're just going to unlock this next wave of innovation that basically brings all the applications that bring billions of people on chain. Um, yeah, it makes so much sense. Like at a at a minimum, all like you get to build on chain Coinbase products on it, and all the and that that's kind of a no brainer because it's hard to reason about building them anywhere else with all the different trade-offs and you you just don't control the full stack, you know? Yep. And then once Coinbase, it's like a little bit of almost the, like the Amazon, like build AWS to serve your own, you know, infrastructure. Right. And then you open it up to everyone else and there's there's the added benefits of everyone else can, yeah, get access to the Coinbase users. It's kind of that playbook in a way. And and it's and it's useful. It's useful in single player mode, right? Like it's just useful yeah. for a Coinbase, even if it was only a rollup that Coinbase was using. Yes, hundred percent. The way I think about base and blockchains is they're the most powerful serverless compute platform that's ever existed. Because for the first time, it really is. You write your application and you put it on chain, and it will yeah. run forever. And then not only that, your application, the smart contracts that you write can use the smart contracts that anyone else in the world has written. And so rather than the kind of APIs that are accessible to that serverless platform being only APIs that like AWS creates, where they're like, we give you a storage API, we give you a XYZ API. It's like, no, now anyone can create an API that's available on this serverless platform. And you can just write an application that focuses on your very minimal business logic that interfaces and hooks into all of those other APIs. I mean, it's it's the world computer. I mean, this is what Ethereum yeah. is, but like 
base is basically the like scaling of the world computer. And I think like I'm pretty convinced this is going to eat all of compute. Like over the next 10, 20, 30 years, like literally everything is going to move into this new kind of like open serverless compute model that blockchains enable. So how that's that's super interesting. It's like almost an it's like an earlier vision for blockchains, right? Which I feel like we don't talk about as much of like the world computer. And like, it's yeah. literally just like serverless compute and you can make it do whatever you want. Yes. Um, and, and then different blockchains will kind of be like um, different serverless compute offerings. And then the question is like, what makes a serverless compute offering really useful? Well, you want that offering to have as many pre-built, built-in functionality as possible. And like, how do you get there? You probably don't build all those things yourself as the blockchain. Instead, you yeah. build a platform so everyone else can build all those things. And so then the, the, the kind of serverless compute offering that's a blockchain that will be the most valuable is the serverless compute offering as a blockchain that attracts the most people to build all those APIs that everyone else can use. Right. It becomes kind of a marketplace with its own network effects and everyone's yeah. like winning by helping everyone else. Yeah, exactly. And it's how so how how does that work? Like thinking of it from a serverless compute pers- point of view, like let's take an that makes me think of applications that aren't purely, you know, uh, only on chain. The entire lifecycle thing yeah. is happening within one smart contract or between other smart contracts. It gives me a vision of some like, you know, closed applications within companies are calling into these functions and receiving callbacks and there's yeah. all those kinds of relationships happening like what how does that how would that work like do you have a specific application in mind and like what yeah. the actual architecture of something like that would be like yeah and i can actually sh- i can sh- i can share the specific example that actually connected this mental model for me Mm-hmm. Um, which is there's a there's a company called Goldfinch. I don't know. If mm-hmm. heard, yeah, they yeah, yeah, yeah. Gold. I know Blake and Mike, and they they yeah. also were on the podcast actually. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, well, I love Blake and Mike. They're ex Coinbase people, and so I worked with Blake and Mike. And then one of their really early engineers, Mark Hudnall, um, I also worked with at Coinbase, and he was my co-founder at Class before Coinbase. And so we've oh, been working wow. together for like Crazy. a decade now at this point. And so I remember having a conversation with him about. Um, Goldfinch maybe a year, year and a half ago. And he was describing how they have this problem where, and for, for listeners, Goldfinch is basically a um, lending protocol where uh, like consumers can pool capital. And then there's kind of a marketplace of underwriters who uh, enable borrowers to come and access that capital. And so for instance, like they're mostly serving um, kind of borrowers who are uh, working in kind of developing economies. Um, so like an example is, uh, you know, someone who wants to get credit to um, uh, underwrite uh, like phones for people in a developing country. They're like, hey, we need a $15 million line of credit to resell to consumers who are then going to pay us, you know, like a little bit per month to get access to their phone. They like bring that deal to Goldfinch. There's an underwriter that kind of assesses it and then people pooling capital, uh, which gives the capital to borrowers. Um, And what they were seeing is their borrowers were... uh, all of the Goldfinch pools were in USDC. Um, that was yeah. kind of the, 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 the thing that people were putting in. But a lot of their borrowers, because they were in developing uh, countries, the right. they told me they about wanted... this. They have the FX <laughs> risk, and yeah. they're yeah, 
Yeah, they have FX risks or they like it, they have FX risk and they need to get in something that they can convert into their local currency. And mostly what they can convert is Tether, USDT, um, which they then go into Binance. And so they saw that most of their bars were going through this really painful step where they were first withdrawing the USDC from Goldfinch. And then they were taking it to like Uniswap and swapping it for USDT. And then they were taking the USDT and bring it to Binance. And then they were exchanging on, from USDT on Binance to their local fiat currency oh and they God. were drawing it. And what Mark was building at the time when he, he said this to me is, we just want to take one of those steps out. And so what we're doing is we're just adding an interface to Uniswap directly in our contracts. So when the borrower withdraws, they can say, I want to withdraw in Tether. And our contracts just say, okay, let's just instantly convert USDC to USDT and give them the Tether. And like, they didn't need to go work with the Uniswap business to do that. Like, they just hit the Uniswap API as a smart contract, mm-hmm. and it totally seamlessly did currency conversion. And that, when mm-hmm. he described that to me, I was like, "Oh my god!" What you're saying is that Uniswap is a serverless API for doing currency conversion that any other developer who's building on the platform of Ethereum can plug into whenever they want to build any kind of application that needs currency conversion. Wow. Right. Right. <laughs> like, wow. That's crazy. And now that like, is crazy. If you look at, if you look at uh, like new products that have launched since then, uh, there's another company that just launched um, uh, a company called Skyteller. They just launched a product where you can get an address that goes directly to your bank account and withdraws to the fiat currency of your choice. And we're also seeing that increasingly there are stable coins that, um, you know, mapped to basically every or increasing number of, of kind of sovereign currencies. And so like imagine the next version of Goldfinch's kind of off-ramp offering where instead of saying, hey, uh, you can withdraw USDC and we auto-convert it to Tether and then you can send Tether to Binance and Binance, you can convert it to your local currency and then you can withdraw the local currency. What if now it's just like, you just configure your off-ramp address in our app and we will convert USDC to your sovereign stablecoin of choice using Uniswap and then send it to the address that maps to your bank account. And then the people who built that thing will off-ramp it directly to your bank account. Totally. Like, yeah. I mean, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It is crazy. (laughs) That's awesome, right? And all of those pieces can be built independently. Like yeah. they can just be built, they can be built as these little API building blocks that anyone else in the world can plug into. And so I, I love that example because it so clearly illustrates how, like it, it, it illustrates this thesis of this being a serverless compute platform and every new thing that gets deployed on it being an API that anyone can hook into. And it's it, it has a, yeah it is already having an incredible impact on how much uh, impact people can have. Uh, because they're building on such a higher leverage platform. Like the Goldfinch team at that time, it was like two engineers who were right. building. That's this wild. Whole they can just complex. leverage an exchange without talking with anyone. Right. It's like that, that is all these pieces are starting to get handled, which means that the people who are building the apps can focus on building the apps and they can do it with small teams that are like massively leveraged. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's so, it's so true. 
it's so yeah it's interesting because like there's both these uh serverless kind of like endpoints can both be stateless and stateful right there could be a stateless version of it which you're like what is the what is the conversion rate between x and y currencies and you can get an answer back and that's easy that exists but then there's like stateful which you can you can just use it as a as a service um there though like the question is like at some point um the state has to transition from being like inside like a company's like state mm-hmm. to like this like serverless like this open world's like states that everyone understand and that interface is where something needs to happen right either the user needs to do it themselves which is like the self custodial model and there's all these difficulties with user experience and security and people understanding, you know, gas and all this crazy yeah. stuff or or like a product has to abstract that away and for instance, you know, there has to be some product in Kenya or Latin America that's like, "Hey, withdraw to your bank account and you press right. this button and they just do everything for you behind the scenes." Right. What do you think like what are those trade-offs? Like how do you think about that? Yeah. And I think Coinbase has built its business over the last decade by doing the latter, right? Like we've basically been right. this abstraction layer over the chains that makes it so users um, don't have to deal with all the complexity uh, and they just get a much easier experience. Which is also what- just like, that's even that is like super powerful. Just taking what you said before, because you get to use these like global primitives that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Like even if that's the world we end up in, that's still like a meaningful step forward. I think it absolutely is. And I think what we've seen is like building all of those abstractions over the chain, they, they're very complex, right? You basically have to like rebuild a bunch of constructs that are in the chain. So for instance, like in Coinbase.com, right. we take in all the money, like all the, the crypto into like, you know, pooled hot and cold wallets. And then we build an entirely uh, new ledger inside. <laughs> right. Like an in-memory <laughs> ledger of like what all these addresses are. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. You and can go like, in your account and like generate a new address. Right. And it's like, then that cascades through this massive web of web two systems that are like abstracting over the blockchains to provide this seamless experience. And those systems are really, really, really expensive because we are basically like we're rebuilding a bunch of this stuff and trying to abstract and generalize. And um, I think what I've seen over the last two years of, of like really sitting at this border between kind of the like legacy off-chain world and the new on-chain world and figuring out like, how do you bring a crypto company that has been primarily built in the off-chain world for the last decade with the crypto in it kind of abstracted away into the new on-chain world? And I think what what I've seen pretty consistently is Anytime you have to build a product that straddles both of those worlds, it is so complex. Mm. So, so, so complex. If you're fully in the on-chain world, you get so much leverage. It's so easy. If you're fully in the off-chain world, right? it's easy. Like Everything's handled. It's been like that forever. But when you are building products that move from off-chain to on-chain, it is super, super, super hard, complex, messy, uh, and I think like what this has really pushed me towards and, and pushed, I think, parts of Coinbase towards as well is figuring out how do we 
like contain those boundary areas to like really, really clear specific domains and then enable our teams to build in the new world. And so like right. an example of this is like in the Coinbase app, um, uh, we now have a Web3 tab, which uh, lets you get access to basically like a fully flexible Ethereum wallet uh, that can work across layer one and layer two. Um, but uh, you don't have to manage any of the keys. We manage all the keys for you using like MPC, multi-party computation, um, but you get access to this wallet that can do anything. Uh, and that building that thing that enables it so complex, so, so, so complex. But with that thing in place, enabling our teams to just build as if they were building a DAP, those teams can move so much faster because right. they're just building in the on-chain world. And so now all the complexity of bridging that gap from a user experience is handled by the team and product that has built this really cool and powerful wallet. But the teams that are building the use cases can actually just operate on this totally serverless platform and not have to think about all the off-chain complexity. Totally. And I think that's the world that we need to increasingly be building towards. It's like finding those points where um, off-chain and on-chain necessarily need to meet. And I think an identity is another really good example of it. Uh, and then building really, really well thought out connections that enable folks to leverage that off-chain data and leverage that off-chain infrastructure while keeping their applications and the work that they're doing in a fully on-chain context. Because yeah. That is what allows them to move so rapidly. Totally. Into the Bytecode is sponsored by Privy. One of the biggest problems we're grappling with as builders working on crypto-enabled applications is how to make the right trade-offs between user experience on the one hand and security and privacy on the other hand. How do we promote self-custody and ownership while letting the application shine rather than the crypto behind it? So Privy plays an important role here. They provide simple onboarding so anyone can connect to your app easily by allowing them to sign in with an existing wallet or by making it easy for you to provision a new self-custodial wallet for them, linking to social logins like Google, Twitter, or Discord. I personally have faith in Privy because of the team. Henry Stern, who's one of the co-founders, was previously on an episode of this podcast. So you can listen to that conversation for more of a deep dive. And he and his partner, Asta Lee, have been thinking about data privacy and security for a long, long time. And you can see this in the level of thought they're putting into the product. So if you're working on a new product and thinking about how to reach a wider group of users without compromising on either user experience or privacy and security, then I encourage you to check out Privy at privy.io. If you're a builder and you're looking at working on something new, I think the space of trade-offs is, or has been for some time, that I can build something that's fully on-chain and leans into what's uniquely enabled by crypto. And I can have a tiny user base because it's right. only the people who currently can use crypto. And, you know, no, like, you know, most of my friends still yeah, like hold true. some cryptocurrencies, but there's no way they're going to figure yeah. out how to use this stuff. And we've been saying that for a long time. And then there's, and then there's alternative path, which is you, I, I need to abstract away this complexity and my product within its own user flows needs to 
work for a normal person. And what you're saying is that this like second pattern, the second path is like, is you're signing up for a world of pain. Like the level of complexity you're taking on is insane. And like, what would you do? Would you, cause you know, would you just build the purely on chain thing and with the, with the assumption that there are smart, hardworking teams and people building the L2s, the wallets, like the block explorers, like all this stuff is getting, is getting simplified. Like, is that the bet you would take? Like, this is, this is why we're building base. Right. right. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is, right? like, this is it, right? It's like, we want to yeah. make it so that's no longer the choice. Right. Like, we want to break that, uh, you know, false dichotomy. And it's not just base, it's Coinbase and base, right? It's like, on one hand, we need the, the platform where people can create those applications. And then on the other hand, we need the interfaces where users can use those applications and have all the abstraction, uh, the complexity abstracted away from them. And I think our thesis, if we bring those two things together for developers now, they can just build on the incredibly powerful platform and trust that the users are going to be able to use it because Coinbase is going to be building these incredibly easy to use interfaces like the Web3 tab and the Coinbase app that just let them use the app they want to use. Yeah, that, that is That's the whole bet. It's making it incredibly easy for developers to build and incredibly easy for users to use and to connect those two things to bring the next billion people on chain. Yeah, that's super exciting. It's, Do you, so it gets me so fired up. <laughs> it, it, it makes me think of, I, I can think, I think it was like Coinbase Wallet back in the day that had like a DAF browser. And yeah. like the idea was that I imagine it's a similar idea, right? We're going to like simplify the UX of like using all these dApps and you can like do your thing on the other side. But maybe part of the learning is that that's like too high level of an abstraction. Like you need to just give people a blockchain and they need to build their own front ends, their own products. And like you only, you, you need, you only simplify like how users go into this ecosystem and how they come out of it rather than try to build an interface for an individual application. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's um, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Like on the user side, I think we want to like do some curation that like lets them discover, and then on developer side, we want to just make it easy for them to build the things that users then eventually discover. And yeah. so I, but I I like with base specifically, it's definitely like let's give the developers a maximally open and flexible platform because we can't pre like determine like, oh, if you build within these guardrails or you build within this shape, that's going to be a great product. Like I've spent too much time with engineers. No, the second you try and give them a like build within these, draw within these lines, they're like, I don't want to do this. Totally. And then it leads to worse outcomes. And so I think our thesis with base is like, here it is. Like here's the platform that's both going to be open and available and give you all the flexibility in the world that you want. And because it's built in a way that's kind of incubated by Coinbase and connected to Coinbase, we're going to be handling all the complexity on the user side. That's going to make it possible for people to use it in a really easy way. Yeah. And I do, I, like, you You said this, like, maybe a minute or two ago. You were like, I feel like we've been, like, stuck on this for a while, like, a long time. Yeah. And, and we have. And, and I think this is one of the things that... Um, it's kind of hard for me to describe to people about the moment that I feel like we're in right now. Yeah. Where I feel like 
for the first time, these pieces are finally coming together. Like people actually are building incredibly useful applications on chain. They exist. And the user experiences as a result of kind of this integration are getting easy enough for everyday people to use. And I feel like a lot of the crypto industry is kind of like traumatized by the last 10 years of us being like, we're almost there. Like it's going to be there, (laughs) but like, we're almost there, everyone. Like it, the pieces are here for the first time ever. It's a, it's like a, it's a chain link system, right? Which is that each, if like a single chain and the link doesn't, a link in the chain doesn't work, the entire thing doesn't work, right? So exactly. if we don't have good on-ramps and off-ramps, a good wallet, like each of the, any of these things is enough to break the whole thing. And then there's this weird, you know, supply and demand, like chicken and egg problem, which is like, I'm going to build an infrastructure company because... Right these applications need a better wallet. And then the applications are like, uh, you know, I can't build, like I can't get meaningful users because there's no wallet that exists. And they've, you know, people have been working in parallel and it's almost like, I mean, this is, I think why something like base can actually be a super effective right, like leverage move. Chain, <laughs> missing link <laughs> yeah. in the chain, right? It's like the one yeah. thing that then links up the 100,000 other chain links in the chain that everyone else has been building for the last decade and makes this work. And that's, yeah. that's our bet. And what that's are, what gets me if, so excited about it. If you were to talk through like the user user journey or user experience of like, I'm a, you know, take one of my friends who's yeah. like has some ETH on Coinbase and I want to use some like crypto application. Like, I don't know, like... Uh, one of my favorite musicians is doing like an NFT yeah. drop. And, and you know, in today's world, I would need to set up a wallet, transfer my ETH over there, like yeah. use the smart contract, change my like roll up, like a transaction yeah. fails, like figure out what a wallet is. Like, it's like so complicated. So what are... Um, what I guess what have been, why 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 isn't that working today? Or maybe it is, but like what have been... What have been like the critical missing pieces you think? Yeah. And then I've heard you say that like, you said something crazy like this year we're going to get 100 million developers <laughs> on chain and next year 2024 we're going to get a billion users on chain. Which I I could see, you know, if if like the if all the puzzle pieces click together and yeah. crypt, you know, crypto is just like a you know a function a serverless type thing that you can embed into any application in the world, like that could happen. But what are yeah, what are the missing pieces there? Yeah, it's I said a million developers this year, a billion users next year. Okay, which okay. you know I think like so a factor of a thousand. That that makes <laughs> think- sense. I think it's aggressive, but I also think it's possible, right? Like if you look at how adoption curves for really, really great products go, they grow very fast. And I right. think, again, we've been kind of traumatized by the last 10 years. But at some point, whether it's this year or next year, we're the, the experiences are going to get good enough that we will start the month over month growth of crypto users around the world. And it will not stop until every single person in the world is using crypto. And it's going to be relentless. And when we look back on it, we will be like, wow, of course that happened. Yeah. But you know, I don't know exactly where it'll happen, but it, we're going to start that up curve soon. Um, so in terms of going to your question of like kind of what are, where the, the, the kind of breakages in the experience and, and how will that look? I mean, I think you did a pretty good job of describing it. It's like 
I mean, let's not even think about it if you're a person who has Ethereum. Like, let's say you're a new person who right. like opened the Coinbase app for the first time uh, and is like, I'm into crypto and I want to learn more and go buy an NFT that my friend is making. So like a few different problems you run into. So first is like, okay, now I'm going to buy ETH in my Coinbase app because that's where everyone told me to get. But then up until recently, like, I can't use that ETH to buy this NFT on the website. Like, what do I need to do? Okay, now I need to move it to a new wallet. Okay, now I got to go set up another wallet. Maybe it's Coinbase wallet. Maybe it's MetaMask. Okay, now I got to go transfer it to that other wallet. Okay, now I transferred, uh, you know, $5 of ETH because it says it's $5 on there to buy. Okay, now I go click buy and it's, it's not $5, enough. but then also there's $5 of gas. And I only sent $5 and I paid $3 to send it. So I don't have enough money. Okay, now I got to go get more Ethan Coinbase and I got to send it over there. Now I have $10 and now I spend $10 and $5 of that goes to my friend and $5 of it goes to Ethereum, I guess. Like it just gets burned and destroyed and like cool, I guess. Um, like I think that's that would be the user journey of like, yeah. okay, I'm new, I go there. I think- that's what it would what be that, like, like literally today. I mean, that's what you would go through, right? Yeah. I think that's what most people will go through today. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it, we're starting to change it, right? Like, and, and where, so where I think we'll, we'll be in the next few months um, with Base is you'll open up your Coinbase app and you'll see an NFT on the homepage and you'll just click buy. And it won't be like buying it and putting it into a custodial walled, walled garden. It will, that will just be an NFT from Zora that's surfaced on your homepage. And when you click buy, that will execute an on-chain transaction that will be, be done on base via this kind of embedded Web3 wallet. And it will then take you to your wallet where the NFT will be. And that will have executed at a 10 cent price from a gas perspective. And so all $5 will have gone to your friends and all of that will happen in less than 60 seconds. And it won't be Coinbase's walled garden, like which I think is a yeah. powerful thing. Like someone could have built air quote NFTs and put them in the Coinbase app and have them like done in our custodial way a while ago. But this is not that. This is us basically composing a few pieces, which is the L2 plus the embedded wallet plus the fiat on ramp to make it so we can connect all those things into a totally seamless user experience that ends with the user having a fully flexible open Web3 wallet on a fully flexible open on-chain platform that's base that they can continue to manage in Coinbase or they can move somewhere else if they wanted to and that they can reuse now that they've activated with ETH for gas to do anything else that they want, like a Uniswap trade or borrow money or yeah. whatever it is. Like that kind of like you said, there's all of these steps in the user experience that are kind of links in the chain. And we've gradually built good enough links in the chain. Um, but when you combine them all, the chain is really, really long and we're still missing a few pieces. And I think what BASE is going to do is it's going to kind of put the last one in. And that's also going to allow us to kind of compress all those links to the chain into like an incredibly seamless experience that is still using all those links but just does it as if it was, you know, abstracted mm. away infrastructure. Yeah. And that makes sense. And what if I'm, what if I go on a website that isn't Coinbase and it's like some, you know, third-party product and yeah. 
then then it's they you know if that website is is using base as a kind of back end of sorts you press this button in the top right you log in by typing in you know i don't know how how would you log in there you i mean like let's just say people are still on mobile it's like you go to the you go to the the website right. you open it up flips over to your wallet. other wallet it opens up in your coinbase wallet which is the same wallet where you have your nft now that's right. still your coinbase app and now it's just showing the browser in the coinbase app and you again just click buy and it's all handled for you and it's still using base and it's still using that embedded wallet and still putting you in the open platform and still fully open to anyone. Like, you know, when I was saying initially in that NFT, that's not even me, like NFT is not going to show up on your homepage. That's not going to, I don't think Coinbase is necessarily, it's going to be coinbase.com. I think what we'll actually, what, what we're going to see is like all of those NFTs are going to be on Zora and Sound and uh, Spinamp and like name your NFT platform that you care about. But then because they're all built in open way, Coinbase can basically aggregate over them and say, here are the trending AP- NFTs that like are relevant to you. And then when you click mint, it mints it using the Zora smart contracts, using your wallet and it's embedding Coinbase and puts the NFT in your wallet. And so I think this is actually one of the really powerful things about um, crypto and base is like, it's, it's built to be an open application platform. Right. Like that's the whole thing is like anyone can build these things and then anyone else can interact with them. And I think that's going to enable us to build all sorts of new experiences that bring together all of this creativity that's happening across many, many apps and, and websites into like unified experiences for users that are just like really easy to use. Totally. Yeah. And so the... I think another another part like that, I think there there's many, you know, versions of this that I think would be incredibly useful on their own. There's one version of it that I think is like probably most useful, which mm-hmm. is where base and a user on base's ability to interact with any applications is totally permissionless, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no no one has an ability to not let them do that. And that's yeah. what allows all the crazy shit to happen because, right. you know, you you can't stop them. The user is making their own sovereign choices at some level. And this is like infrastructure that's running. And it, you know, base has this, you know, given that it's built using the OP stack, it's a roll up on Ethereum. So yeah. all the data, like you can, you can always, you can always leave. So yeah. it's fundamentally different than it is than you know a company opening up their API. One hundred percent. There are like there is the question of like you know the same way that a I don't know staker a home validator including certain transactions in a block like they may not be able to based on what jurisdiction in. There's like yeah. those sorts of questions. I feel there's there's around the wallet, like the wallets are non-custodial too, right? So once the user moves, like how how do you think about those? Yeah. And and I think either world is fine again, but it will it will inform like what sorts of things happen. Yeah. Or is this like the is this like a kind of the base roll-up? Is this, you know, clean world of like good things are happening here. And if you want to like get into like weird stuff, you go into this like other place and there's bridges yeah. that you can use to do that. No, it's a great question. It's it's one that lots of people are asking. And 
I think before I talk about base, worth just like looking back at Coinbase's track record on this, which is if you if you look at our response on things like Tornado Cash, where you know you have Treasury saying uh, you know Tornado Cash we're putting it on the sanctions list, and you have Coinbase you know working with a bunch of plaintiffs to basically sue the Treasury and say this is unconstitutional, you can't put open source software on the sanctions list. It's open source software. Um, yeah. uh, and that ability to run and leverage open source software is a constitutional right. Um, uh, a similar kind of stance that we've taken with Ethereum validators, where we've advocated for the exact same thing and say, these things are running open source software and we have a constitutional right to, to run open source software and to support our users in doing that as well. Um, like that, that's our belief. That's our belief. It's like the underlying protocols and platforms uh, must be open. They must be permissionless. They must be available to everyone because that is what enables us to build this new global on-chain crypto economy. And then yeah. on top of that, like at the interface level, when we're talking about custodial interfaces that are managing things for users. That's like, totally fair game. You have totally to comply game. with the regulations <laughs> of your jurisdiction. <laughs> you you got to comply with them. Exactly, right? Like yeah. if you are onboarding customers into a custodial interface that is domiciled in the United States, it's like, compliant like i think the thing that we've been pushing on uh, and, and really talking about with regulators is like how do we just make sure that there's clear guidelines and rules here because what's happening right now is the lack of clarity is uh pushing innovation out to the united states um like we see that happening every day you know literally like i was i mean i, I meet with so many builders and developers and the amount of money that people have to spend at early stage companies in this country to try and just get a modicum of peace of mind around whether what they're doing is going to potentially like put them in jail. Like that's money yeah. that otherwise would be going to jobs. Yeah. Like creating other jobs in the country. And so I think our perspective is the underlying platform, uh, the underlying protocols must remain open. They're decentralized. They are this substrate that's going to enable all this global innovation and global crypto economy to, to kind of uh, have such a big impact on the world. And we want to be working with policymakers to create that regulatory clarity, basically, to um, uh, create those kind of common sense regulations that protect law and chain platform and protect consumers at the interface level. So how that yeah. translates to base is um, we basically think about base as an extension of Ethereum and we think about layer two as an extension of Ethereum. And we believe that that extension should remain open and accessible to everyone. And that's how we're building base. We're building it to be decentralized. We're building it to be open for everyone. And so Coinbase and our kind of uh, regulated uh interfaces for customers will continue to apply all of those rules and we will work to preserve that openness uh, and accessibility for base because we think it's like the internet and we believe that the internet like the internet ethereum and the on-chain platform should be uh open open for everyone so yeah you know that's a complex balance right like during during these things it's, it's a hard, juicy one especially, especially in this regulatory uh, environment it's hard but um this is this is what it's all about. Like this is why we're here. We are here to to fight for the open crypto economy. Um, and I, I I said this on a podcast the other day. But the day we launched Base, um, that night 
Brian, our CEO, messaged me and he said two things. He said, one, like that was a great launch. Now you have to deliver. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Just is like, great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm here for it. And then two, you, you have to decentralize this thing. Like yeah. there's no other path here. We can't not deliver on this promise that we are making. And, yeah, you know, that's almost that's, the beauty of it, which is with any of these applications, like you're for you're almost like forced to de decentralize. Otherwise, you're you're not, and you have to you have to fit within a regulatory regime that isn't designed for these things. Yeah, and also if if you don't do it, like luckily our industry and, and communities has a lot of good sense about them, and they're like pretty good at detecting bullshit. And they're pretty good at being like, oh, these people are talking a big game, but not delivering results. And they'll sniff that out. And I think this is why we've, I mean, we like, if we just think about the like level of adoption and growth that Ethereum has seen, I think a lot of that comes because our industry really has identified, wow, this is like maximally decentralized. Like this is the shelling point that can actually serve as the foundation for everything else to be decentralized. And that's worth fighting for. And it's worth putting our resources into. And I don't think there's a world where we can just um, like launch base and say, we're going to decentralize and then not decentralize and people will adopt it. Like, I, I just I just don't. I mean, particularly developers. I don't think developers will adopt that. I don't think the community will adopt it. And so like we, we obviously have to yeah. deliver. We have to put our money where our mouth is and we have to like put the wins on quarter over quarter, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to let our actions speak for themselves and um, continue fighting for the crypto economy to remain open for everyone. Um, yeah. Because that's what's going to lead to us getting to this world where everyone everywhere in the world is on a level playing field. Totally. And that, I don't think there's anything more important than that. Yeah. It's uh, super, super important. Yeah. Right. One, one kind of, well, adjacent, unrelated question to this um, thinking of this infrastructure as potentially mm -hmm. like service serverless functions that you can call into. Yeah. I sometimes feel that even naming what we're doing as crypto is like the wrong thing to do because we're, we're like singling it out as this like independent thing that's, mm -hmm you know, that that's like a thing you can build a crypto application, but ultimately it's, it's a technology and it's a part of the te technology stack. And we all know this potential trap of like talking about technologies and solutions and not problems. And I think mm -hmm. that the world will probably ultimately live in is that many applications incorporate elements of crypto in them. Right. And then I think that, you know, Calling calling what we're doing crypto also opens it up to any single bad actor doing something wrong, right? Tarnishes crypto right. as a whole. The fact that it is this like identifiable thing. How do you how do you think about that? Where do you land on that question? Like should I I, I feel like maybe we should just abolish like the like crypto ecosystem as a thing. <laughs> maybe it's too soon to do that. Maybe we need like the momentum and the coherence of like working forward on something. And and it might might happen. It might happen naturally at some point, you know? Yeah. Hmm. I think I think generally I think it's it's still a little too soon. And I think 
I'm trying to think why I believe that. I think the reality is that like for both businesses and users, there are going to be like step function changes if they can build with crypto and they can use crypto in their quality of life, their efficiency, kind of all of these things. And I don't think that those step function changes and improvements are going to like, they're not going to just happen by default. Like people have to opt into those things. Like mm-hmm. businesses have to elect, we're going to use this. And some of that can be abstracted away. But like having watched this happen at Coinbase for the last 10 years, like even at the biggest crypto company in the world, like it still requires leaps of faith to say, let's build this thing with crypto. Let's build this thing on chain rather than doing it the way we've always done it. And so I think that there, there's, mm. there's still this like, I still think we have to convince some people to take the leap, you know, and say mm. like, you should elect to do this because it's going to deliver X, Y, and Z. And some of that can be wrapped up in like, Oh, just use this new product because it's better. But mm. I think some of it also is just, um, like getting people a little bit over the hump. Um, and I've been, you know, I, I've been trying away from using crypto. Um, I've been using on chain more now. And that's mm. like, it's not that I've been shying away from. It's also like, I think people have historically used the kind of like decentralized versus centralized as a big um, term. Right. It's like, do you want to build this in a decentralized way or central- centralized way? And I, I'm finding on-chain to just be a much better descriptor because it can be inclusive of all these things. Right. Like, you can have a centralized system that's on-chain. You can have a decentralized system that's on-chain. Um, and I think... It also has a nice kind of like parallel with online. And I think a lot of yeah. people have this mental of like, we went from an offline world to an online world and that improved my quality of life. And there's all these concrete things that I can like point to where it's like, once we went online, these things got better. And my intuition is that if we can start just connecting a few dots with people where it's like, oh, this thing's on chain now and it's better than it was online, then people are going to start asking. It's like, when are you going on chain? You know, like, when and is that, this product that, that clarifies the distinction between, you know, an intermediary, like centralized application that calls itself a crypto application, but it's not actually on chain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I don't know. We're going to see. I was having another conversation with someone who I really trust and respect. And he was talking about how, like, one risk with, like, using something like on-chain is that there's like a heterogeneity of what on-chain means. It's like, if you deploy on Ethereum, the decentralization and security characteristics of that app that a user is using are very different than if you're deploying on like some other chain that's much less decentralized and secure, but it might look or seem the same to users. And I think his concern was, um, it is kind of like, like, are we at risk, basically, of kind of like grouping all these things together and then like accidentally leading users into like bad environments that expose them to risk? Um, and I, we, we, we debated a bit back and forth on this. And the analogy that he drew was with kind of like online, like if everyone's connection, like everyone's connection to online is relatively equal, like there's no like I'm on this online that's worse than that online. That was his claim. I'm actually not sure I'm convinced by that, right? Like if you're mm. in a given country that the government can shut down the online, 
which we've seen happen many times in the last few years. Right. Like, or if you're not using is- HTTPS, they can read your <laughs> traffic. Right, 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 right. Or if you were on AOL, you know, not the internet back in the day, like those are all different forms of online. They're more abstracted because we're further along the technology cycle. But I think, I think it's an interesting question of like, what is the risk of um, like kind of papering over these, like what is the risk of trying to aggregate and, and like bring these under one consolidated mental model for users? Um, totally. my, my general feeling on this is like, I think that developers in particular, like I said earlier, in crypto in particular, and the people who are going to create the most useful applications, they're very attuned to like what matters and like the fact that decentralization and security matters and downstream of developers are the applications they create. And my intuition is that the best applications are going to be built on the platforms that developers want to use because they're decentralized and open and secure. And so I, I think that probably like the internet, this will be a market problem and that a market solution where it's just like the things that win will become on chain and the things yeah. that will not be on chain um, because they won't really be things. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. And I do think we have an obligation as an industry to continue advocating for like maximally decentralized, maximally open, open source, freely available systems. Totally. Totally. I think it's in, I, I was having similar conversation with, friends and one not not directly related to decentralized or the open point but um looking at what's happening with chat gpt as an example of when something is super super compelling you just like give all of your data to it you know yeah like we you know we care about privacy preserving (laughs) but i literally paste in entire things into there and i'm like you know what do you think about this and it's 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 an interesting thing. Um, yeah, there's this yeah. yeah there's this like trade off curve that we intuitively kind of land land at on. Um, yeah, and my hope is that with on chain platforms we can make it so that those applications are easier to build in a way that is both compelling and privacy preserving. Um, yeah, but we have some work to do. I also think ChatGPT is another great example of like just how quickly products can grow. Like if you look yeah. at chat, like when there's like 100 million, 200 million, 300 million users of ChatGPT, and it's like six months old, like that's that, incredible. It's incredible because it's an incredible product, and I think um, again we're also traumatized from from ten years, but we're getting to the point where crypto is an incredible product, and where we're going to hit that growth curve. So yeah, it, and it's actually it's it's happening. It's it's happening. It's just. Yeah. So um, maybe, maybe like one nice transition. I saw this tweet, I think from like 2021, where you said that I'm now 100% end to end in crypto for my primary financial account. You're like getting paid in crypto and like you were, you were, are you like, are you still doing that? And what, what's that been like? Yeah. Um, Am I still doing that? Yes, uh, I get paid via Coinbase. Uh, it converts to a mix of ETH and USDC, and then I spend out of there. I've had to switch away some of my spending out of Coinbase because Coinbase debit card doesn't have the ability to have like family members on it, 
which uh, is like I got married <laughs> and I have a wife. And so it's like it, yeah. it doesn't have the flexibility basically that I actually need. And so I've had to shift some of my spending out, but all of my inflows from salaries are coming from crypto and um, pretty much all of my financial all of my financial life is in crypto. Now it's a it's the one the one exception to that is like obviously I've worked at Coinbase for a while and so I have some Coinbase stock and that's not in crypto like that's held by you know. So outside whatever. of the Coinbase stock, you don't own any like stocks or anything like that. It's all not really no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what's like I have what's some stable coins and then I, I have a, like Ethereum basically. Yeah. What's your like uh, crypto stack? Is it Coinbase like Coinbase wallet like? How, yeah, what do you, yeah, it's as someone who's like probably tried to reduce the friction as much as possible for yourself, what is, what is your current setup? It's a mix. I, I, um, it's, it's a mix because I, I like to do a lot of things. And also I've been using crypto for a long time. So I have a lot of legacy baggage of like right. my old systems, <laughs> yeah. but I use Coinbase for a lot of kind of uh the the vast majority of my kind of like crypto is stored on coinbase either in uh, my coinbase account or in vaults in my coinbase account which is like time locked uh accounts mm. on coinbase or in that web3 wallet which is like managed by coinbase um so that's where the the vast majority of it is but then i also have a mobile wallet that i use pretty frequently which is in coinbase wallet uh, which is just like a seed phrase um that i store in my coinbase wallet and I also have connected on my my browser in the Coinbase wallet extension. And then I also have uh, uh, hardware wallets, a few different ones, but the ones that I primarily use are um, Grid Plus, which mm -hmm. is like, uh, yeah. it's really cool. It's kind of like a little credit card that you slide into this desktop thing. Um, and that's the best hardware wallet I found like far and away um, yeah. from a usability. And so that's what I use for hardware wallets. And then I, I also, for... Certain things I do on chain, I, I have Gnosis safes where it's like a multi-sig where I'll have a few different signers on it that are like basically securing it. And for that, I, I use a mix of my mobile wallet, my hardware wallet, and then the Coinbase Web3 wallets. So nice. it's it's a little chaotic. <laughs> like I don't think yeah. I don't think that my crypto setup is a crypto setup that could scale to anyone other than like highly sophisticated people, but for where I'm at and what I'm trying to do, it works really well. I think that most everyday people um, will likely just like move towards a world where they have like one primary crypto wallet that I think in the medium term is probably going to be uh, like a multi-sig safe with multiple kind of signers on it that um, they have backed up in different places or with family members. Um, and then a bunch of controls around what can come in and out of that wallet or really what, what can go out of the wallet on like, you know, time, uh, amount based things. And I think it's actually gonna be really like pretty possible to rebuild the sort of like surety and security that people feel from their bank account in on-chain accounts that are like designed as multi-sig smart, smart contract wallets. Totally. So we got a little more work to do to get there, but it's getting better every day. <laughs> totally. And it's, and it's fun being an early adopter in the meantime. I, yeah, I love being an early adopter. And I mean, one thing I'll say is that in the last six months, my usage of crypto is, it continues to just increase mm -hmm. every, every month. 
like I now mint more NFTs um, like in a week than I probably minted in months, nine months ago, because I've gotten really into like these like open edition NFTs that are super cheap, mm-hmm. um, where it's just like, you're just kind of like collecting a piece of history or a piece of art and it costs like four bucks. Totally. And it's just like, oh, this is a no brainer for me. And then I can see my friends who've collected them. Like, I think that's really probably the biggest behavior change for me in crypto is using crypto just as like a social more socially activity. yeah um that's really where really where are you doing us. that where are you collecting the open editions and like what's yeah it's i mostly it's mostly things i discover on twitter or farcaster yeah and then i um just like click out through and i mint it in coinbase wallet yeah yeah it's you know it's fast and you know, like once you have your wallet set up i wouldn't what was i doing oh i I, yeah, I use Farcaster, um, which is like a decentralized social network. And then someone sent me an invite to Blue Sky the other day. Yeah. And I downloaded the Blue Sky app and it asked me to create a username and password. And mm. I was like offended. Like mm. literally, I, I got to that step and I was like, excuse me? Like, you want me to do what? Because <laughs> um, like once you have a crypto wallet set up, Right, and you get used That's to your just connecting your wallet and logging in. Creating a username and password is horrible. It's yeah. so bad. It's like, yeah, so, it sucks. Uh, it's it true. Sucks. It sucks. Versus like, oh, I just. It's have good money. not. It's it's important not to forget that, right? It's not only that crypto UX sucks. Like, it's actually better in some places, and this is a really great example of it. It's way better. Uh, yeah, another example. Like, I was dealing with. I was talking with someone today. I was like having to wire uh, or someone else was saying they're having to yeah. wire money and there were all these issues with wiring money. That sucks. So like you pay $35 and you have to like put in all these form fields and you're like, did I get them right? Like, is it working? Totally. Versus in crypto, it's like, give me your address. And you have I to send screen, like address. save a PDF of the receipt somewhere. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, it's awful. Yeah. I was, I, um, who was it? Spencer Noon, who uh, works in Variant. He, the last day or 24 hours or something, he's been, I forget what the, exactly his language is, but he's like, it's a meme where it's like, crypto doesn't do anything. And then it's like, Gnosis Safe stores $40 billion, which is more than most banks in the United States. Mm. But crypto doesn't do anything that's useful. It's mm. like Uniswap has executed like more volume than like most centralized exchanges on a daily basis for the last few months, but like crypto isn't useful. It's like there's this we've kind of like psyoped ourselves, I feel like, as an industry mm. where we look at crypto and like it's too hard, no one can do anything with it, like it's not useful. And then you actually look and you're like, holy crap, like people are using this to run businesses, they're using this to like trade their assets they're using it to send money to their family and like the way they use it compared to the alternative in the legacy system it's 10 to 100 times cheaper globally available way easier like we're up we're upgrading the system like this is what it is and when we upgrade the system it gets 10x better but we've somehow like psyoped ourselves into being like yeah, but the like new system is too hard and like, you know, it doesn't actually do anything. It's not true. It's like, don't listen to yeah. that. Like every day, millions of people are using the new system and it's working great for them. Yeah. And there's obviously a lot more we need to do, but like, I just, yeah, I, 
it's easy to lose sight of the fact that like in, te- in 10 years, I mean, if you start with Ethereum, which I think is really the beginning of you know, the on-chain financial system, in seven years, eight years, seven and a half years, we've rebuilt huge swaths of the world's economy in software that is now improving every month, getting better and better and better. That's crazy. Awesome. Yeah. And we should be proud of that. And we should like celebrate that and commit to doing more and making it better. Yeah. Love that. It's a good reminder. Um, for for our last few minutes, do you mind if we switch to more a couple of personal topics? Yeah. So I, I asked Liam in advance, Liam Horn, who's a mutual friend of both of ours. And I know you guys have spent a bunch of time together. And he I asked him what would be interesting topics to to get into, and he shared a somewhat cryptic, but I thought interesting prompt that you have good life principles to dig into. <laughs> and I I wonder, you know, what what is he referring to, and what are what are some of these life principles? And I can, I mean, I can, I can maybe get a sense of it just through talking with you of this optimism that you have and. Um, but what are, yeah, how, who are you? What are you, what are you made of on Great the question. inside? I wonder what he's referring to. Um, but I mean, I think a, a lot of, I went, I went to Quaker school from the time I was five to the time I was 18. I don't know if you know what Quakerism is, but it's like a, it's a sect of Christianity. And the whole thesis of it is like, there's that of God in everyone. And so I, I didn't grow up religious, but like, it's basically a principle kind of like, everyone's special and everyone is like sacred in a way. Mm. And so in Quakerism, like there's no religious leader, like there's no priest or pastor or anything like that. Like the weekly uh, religious tradition is what's called meeting for worship. And everyone gets in a room and it's like a square room where there's usually benches and everyone faces each other and you just Mm. sit in silence for an hour. And as people are moved to kind of speak, um, they can just stand up and share what they're feeling. And so from the time I was five to the time I was 18, um, I did Quaker meeting every week or meeting for worship every week. Um, and I just got drilled in these, like what were the Quaker values, which uh, has an acronym called SPICES, mm. which stands for <laughs> simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like 13 years of just getting those drilled into me. And I find that those, like, those are such a huge part of who I am. It's mm. like when I run into some moral tension or something, like that's where I come from. Um, I feel really grateful, like just so, so grateful to have that. Um, yeah. Simplicity, experience. peace, integrity, community, community, equality, equality stewardship. Stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, which one of those have you, like, are you, like, feeling like you have to touch into these days? Maybe just so I understand what they, what they mean in more depth, because I'm sure after spending a lifetime kind of thinking about them and bringing them into your life. I mean, I think integrity, like, uh, like the simplicity and peace ones, I think those are, those are kind of like, yeah. The integrity one, like I don't lie really. Like I never lie. It's yeah. Like, if I lie, I find 
I find that I get so anxious about the fact that I lied. I have to tell the truth. Um, so that's definitely a big one. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Like I, the place where I probably found the most tension with that is working in a large organization of people. It's like, there's all sorts of weird things that happen. And I find that like, I just, I have a very hard time participating in anything other than just being 100% authentic with like what I'm seeing and feeling to people. And that has, yeah. you know, it has its costs and trade-offs, but um, I think that's a big one. Um, community, I feel a ton of right now as we're working on base. Like one of our values for base is this idea of basis for everyone. Um, yeah. And it's really about just like trying to show the world that this is meant to be a place where like, it's not just for Coinbase, it's for everyone. It's not just for the United States, it's for everyone. It's not just for DeFi, it's for everyone. And the way that I like most authentically feel the way to like do that is just trying to like meet everyone where they are in some way, which like it leads to a lot of what I think might be classified as like low value interactions where it's like someone will send me a message and I'll just send them back like, cool. Thanks for sharing that. Or like, awesome. I'm so glad you're doing that. Like, But just like trying to show people that like I'm he- I'm just here for you to here to support you building right here to like so make making space. a point of reply like kind of acknowledging each person even if it's like in a super quick way even if it's a quick way just like being there and being like you're a human being who I see and like I, I'm not perfect at it like I can't and maybe that'll have to change as you know things get bigger but like you know I get a lot of inbound and I every email I reply to totally like every message I get or almost all messages I get, if they're like an authentic message where someone sets me something that's like real, I'll reply to it and I'll say something. Um, yeah. which, like a lot of the time I, 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 sometimes I get, I get in my head a lot. I'm like, is this high, high value? Like am I, I, I have the exact same thing actually. Like not maybe I don't get, you know, a deluge of messages, but <laughs> I, I've been, you know, I definitely feel the trade off of like, you just can't you can't put time into every inbound thing that comes in because that's an unbounded set and your time yeah. is like limited and like you're ultimately allocating to your time to the things that matter but i have a really difficult time just not replying and so yeah. i've i've tried to find similar to what you're describing like shorter and quicker ways to with some level of kindness like turn the thing around and um it's interesting though um yeah it's 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 been a thing i've said like you know we have a like an ecosystem team at coinbase i mean a base um and we we get so much inbound so many people want to be building a base and so many people send us like you know we want a partner it's like we, we can't have a meeting every time but what i've said to that team is like you will reply to every single person. Mm-hmm. Like every single person will get a reply. Now, is that going to be the reply that they want? No, it doesn't have to be. Like 90% of the time, it doesn't have to be. But we're going to treat them as human beings who deserve some uh, enough time and attention to acknowledge their existence. Um, and I don't know, it's, like, it's hard to know, like is that the right trade-off in time and attention? But it feels authentic to me and it feels authentic to what we're trying to build here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's another big one. And then one that's not in the spices uh, category, but like is just very much, I'm just like a eternal optimist, like Mm. eternal, eternal optimist. Like I think that 
yeah, I think anything's possible and that as a like society, we can just achieve so much if we're just positive about the way the world works. And um, that's, yeah, that's another big part of who I am. Where, where does that ways- come from? Is that like, is that more of just a, the way you are emotionally naturally, or is there some, you know, logic structure you can like build up to of why, why one should be an optimist? I think it's just kind of the way I am naturally. I don't know. And I think I like probably credit to my parents. Like, I I think they like from a young age, they told me that anything was possible. And like, they just said, go like, do what you want. You know, they supported me. They always said, yes, you know? Um, So yeah. And then another way that that would manifest is like, this other mantra that I have for myself and for our team, which is like kill, kill people with kindness. It's mm-hmm. like, I will not engage in like negativity really. Like you're not going to find me saying, Oh, like these people are doing a bad job or like, Oh, like I disagree. And therefore I'm going to be in conflict with you. It's just like, it doesn't compute for me. It's like everyone, like everyone's trying their best for the most part in the world. And, um, like, what we're going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to be relentlessly positive and people are going to bring negative energy and they're going to bring critiques and aggression and whatever it is, but we're just, I'm just not going to do that. I'm just going to be like, thank you. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Like, thank you for caring enough to be angry. Um, I hear you. I see you and I'm here to do my best. And like, would love to do that with you, but if that's if you're not interested, like that's cool, that's okay. Like, it's, yeah, everyone gets to make their own decisions. Can you think back to like moments or like a moment or a per- period of time or like something that shaped you in this way? Like, is there is there a reason that you like you've internalized these messages so deeply? Not really. Yeah. I can't think back to like a single specific moment. Um, I think of like, I mean, at this point it feels like a lot of lived experience where totally. it's like, if I'm just relentlessly positive and optimistic for the last, you know, however many years of my life it's worked, right? Like people yeah. are willing to believe more because I believe and because I'm positive. People are willing to come back to the table because I'm coming back to the table. Um Yeah. Yeah. I think, I feel like optimism is kind of, I don't know. It's, it's not funny that you're system. collaborating with, with optimism. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, you know, it was, yeah, yeah. There's right, some right. like poetry in that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like so many reasons why we're working with optimism, but definitely a lot of feelings of like, these are just these people who I feel very um, values aligned with and um, who I think share a lot of our vision for the future. And, um, you know, like we're really in order to build, rebuild the world's economy and rebuild like pretty much every part of the world on this new on-chain platform, it's going to be a massive team effort. Like there's no other way about it. And um, I feel like like the base optimism collaboration is kind of like the starting point of what will be like a super team collaboration, like hundreds of teams, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, all just working together with that same feeling of positivity of like, we can do this. Like we can rebuild and upgrade the system. 
we can believe in a future that is better for everyone, um, that puts everyone on a level playing field. We can come at that from a perspective of abundance and like optimism rather than a place of scarcity and, and zero sumness. Um, mm. That's what it's all about. They're like, yeah. why, why else are we even doing this? Wow. It's, it's, it's like, it's cool how it maps to your personal values, like almost. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting in that way. It is. Well, th- this is like when we going back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, when I stepped back from my previous role at Coinbase and stepped into trying to figure out this next thing, I had this feeling in my stomach of like, there's something here. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something here. And it was like a year of struggling, honestly. And then we landed on base and we started working with Optimism. We started all these things. And my feeling like more and more is just like this, this was it. Like I, I didn't know what it was specifically, but like I've kind of been building towards this, like this building an open, ecosystem for the world that's like i feel like i was like born for this like my all of my all of my 30 years of life feels like it has been bringing me to building this thing and i didn't really know it um and i didn't know it for the last year and a half as two years as we were trying to figure out what that thing was but now that i'm here and now that i'm doing my job and figuring out like what's required of me in this job it's like I have, I have, I have what's required of me. It's inside of me, and I just need to figure out how do I, like, express that in its maximal sense. And if I can do that, and I can convince a bunch of other people to do that with me and believe in this future, then like anything is possible. And yeah, that's like a. I mean, it's incredible. That's so beautiful. Like incredibly blessed. Yeah, I feel incredibly blessed because I feel like I've, I'm working on the thing that I was meant to be working on. Yeah. That's so powerful. I've, I've like almost started, I've, that, that's, that's like such a beautiful thing. And I've, I've noticed that I've talked with a few friends about this, like my whole mental model of like where, when like magic happens is when that alignment happens between a person and what they're working on. And I've seen it happen a few times now with friends who, you know, start working on something and it feels like, it's what they've been, you know, all the puzzle pieces fit together in retrospect. And yeah. it's, it's such a beautiful thing. That's, yeah. I, I, I love hearing that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I don't, yeah, I, I love it too. It's awesome. And it doesn't make it, you know, doesn't make it any any easier. Doesn't make the, it doesn't make it any easier, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's I think like... <laughs> I think even even putting aside how it goes, the fact that that you know sincerity of intention is there is super powerful. Like that's just like a that's a beautiful thing in its own right, yeah. regardless yeah. of like what happens from here. And that's what gets me like through the hardest, most stressful, anxious moments where it's just like. Even if this doesn't work, I this was the thing I was meant to do. And yeah. So whatever path that is, and wherever that ends up, um, I will have been doing what I was meant to do, and that's what it's all about. So hell yeah, feel pretty blessed. Well, I'm 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 happy to know that someone like you is leading this project. That makes <laughs> that, that makes me 
That makes me way more optimistic about what the future could hold. <laughs> I appreciate hearing that. We got a lot of work to do and yeah. we got a lot to prove. Yeah, we got a lot yeah. to, um, we got to show up and do our best work. So I'm optimistic and positive. We'll keep killing, killing everyone with kindness and I hope that out the other side, we, we bring a billion people on chain. Let's do it. Well, I'm, I'm here as a teammate. I'll try to help. Thanks, Cena. Thanks, man. <laughs> this has that. been this has been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, I'm gonna make a small ask here. If you've been listening to these conversations and want to support what we're doing here, I would really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review for the podcast wherever you're listening to it. This might seem like a small thing, but it will really help other people also discover the show. Thank you. I'm grateful to be able to do this and look forward to being here together again soon.